Well, good morning. It is so good to be with each and every one of you this morning. I'm thankful for the congregation that meets here and was thankful for the opportunity this week to, to really have some time to, to just stop and think about all the wonderful blessings that I've got in my life. So many things that are uh, of, of such value and such a big impact that, that God has blessed me with and and more than once, in, in thinking about those things, you all came to my heart and came to my mind. I'm so thankful for the family that, that is here. I'm thankful for the, the, the many hearts that are here that have expressed the desire to, to serve God and to make a commitment in their lives to, to walk in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. And I'm, just, I'm thrilled to be a part of, of this family here at Lake Street. But I want to talk a little bit this, after, or this morning about another congregation, another congregation that, that we would do well to, to take note of and to, to look at the way that they uh, were, were described and things that were said about them. If you want to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is a fascinating study on the person of Christ and on the superiority of Christ over all things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul is describing to them their Christ, and he says, He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Uh, there was a, an idea that was cropping up in, in, in Colossians, in Colossae, that for, for things to be good and for things to be wholesome, uh, certainly God could not have created things that were evil and they were looking around and seeing evil and they were, they were trying to, to understand that, to understand how there could be evil in the world if the world was created by God. And, and in, in doing so, they were coming up with some pretty far-fetched doctrines and this is what Paul writes to them about. And he's writing to a group of Christians who by and large he had not met. There's a handful of them that he seems to have known. Epaphras, that we read about in verse 7. He is his fellow minister. He sent Paul this information regarding the congregation. But for the most part, he's talking to a bunch of people that he really doesn't know all that well, except for the, what Epaphras has said about them. Epaphras talks to them about their works. He talks to him about the congregation that is there. And specifically, that trouble that I mentioned that was being stirred up in Colossae regarding these false teachers. But it's the information that Epaphras sends to Paul regarding the characteristics of the church in Colossae that I want to focus on this morning. Read with me the first, we'll just read the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the, world of the, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. The church at Colossae was a church that had some troubles. 
And there were those there that were teaching things that sometimes were direct opposition to the teachings of the apostles and to the teachings of the Word of God. But all the while, the church of Colossae was a church with a wonderful name. I think that's something that we should think about. I think that's something that should be on our hearts and on our minds. What, what, what makes a wonderful name for a church? Does Lake Street... Is that a church with a wonderful name? And what do we do? What must we do to ensure that we are a church with a wonderful name? And when I speak about a wonderful name, I'm speaking about a reputation. What sort of reputation do we have? And what sort of reputation do we want? And what must we do to have a good reputation? Let's consider that thought as we consider what Paul wrote to this church here at Colossae and learn the encouraging things that were said about this church and the things that I believe are worthy of us following and worthy of us emulating as a church belonging to Christ. One of the first things that I want to note about what Paul says to them is found in verse 4. Verse 4 at the beginning of the verse, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This was a church that was known for their faith. This quality that they had it was, that was found in this church, it's heightened by the fact that their faith that they had, a, being a church known for having faith, it was firmly grounded in the Lord. Firmly grounded in Christ Jesus. Now, Jesus spoke about other churches. or He, he spoke about others. He spoke about individuals sometimes that would not have this same sort of faith. He spoke about those who were dead on the vine. And certainly a church can be found as one that is dead on the vine. He said that in John chapter 15, verse 4, when he said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. See, Jesus is going to go on to say there in John 15, around verse 5, He's going to say, The branches that don't abide in me, which is the branches, as we hear here, are not bearing fruit. These branches are cast off. They are withered. They dry up. They are of no use. And they are burned. But you know, that's not the only type that we, that we read about in the Bible. We also read about the lukewarm church. If you look over in Revelation chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, uh, that, written there to the church at Laodicea, Jesus says, So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This was a church with faith. I, wanted to let, I want us to understand that. This was a church with faith. With faith in themselves. With faith in what they thought they had. With faith in what they thought they were. They looked at themselves and said, we are good. We got this. We're rich and we're wealthy and we're doing things right. And Jesus says, no you're not. And I'll tell you what, the church at Laodicea is not far from the church at Colossae. The Laodicean church was only about 10 miles down the road, from, or at least the city of Laodicea is only about 10 miles down the road from Colossae. That's, that's similar to, to the, the Lake Street Church of Christ, the distance from this building to the, to the Fayette Church of Christ is literally 10.3 miles. We're not talking about a long distance. We're talking about a distance where people probably could have went and saw each other. People probably would have known each other. And yet, even though they were so close, how differently they are described. The church at Laodicea looking inwardly, looking at what we are, and yet the church at Colossae, Paul says to them, we have heard of your faith 
in Christ Jesus. They had a strong faith in the Lord. And that word, that reputation had reached the ears of Paul. But why did they have this reputation? Why did they have a reputation of faith? I would say it's because they had a reputation of trust. Trust is the foundation of faith. Faith is found in trust. Hebrews 11 verse 1, faith is the the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think probably all of us can can memorize and and, and quote that that passage. But what is the uh, the underlying idea of faith in that passage? It's trust. But what level of trust? They had a committed trust. They had a trust that was resolved not to fail. A trust that was resolved not to falter. A trust that was resolved not to to shift when circumstances shifted. Maybe that should bring to mind to us the word steadfast. If you look over in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says, Though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. You see, he noted that their faith was steadfast. Now that implies to us then that their faith had been tested in some way. For there to be a steadfast faith, there has to be a testing of that faith. Now we we had the opportunity to go out on the lake uh, a week or so ago, and we were on a boat that did not have an anchor. And that became a very big problem when I went down the slide, and it seemed as if when I exited the slide, the boat took off. And I was left about 15-20 feet away from the boat. We needed an anchor. But nobody takes an anchor and they, they tie it to their boat and then they tie their boat off at the dock and then they throw the anchor in and they say, look at how good a job this anchor is doing. An anchor is tested when it's, at, when it's out away from the dock, away from the safety of the shore, when, when it is battered and beaten with winds and waves and you put it down and it, it holds firm. And you say, now I know I have a good anchor. These people had a steadfast faith. and We don't know exactly what tried their faith. But we do know that people like Epaphras in Philemon, Paul says that Epaphras was a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. No doubt many other Christians in Southeast Asia, that they dealt with the very same experiences as Paul and Epaphras and many other Christians, this being imprisoned and being tested and tried for their faith. They faced hardships. But when these problems arised, whatever these problems were, the Christians at Colossae had a steadfast faith. They had a trust in God. They would not turn away. They would not waver. And so we should look at that. And we should ask ourselves, what kind of faith will be spoken of about us here at Lake Street? At this congregation? It would be wonderful to know. It would be so great to know that when people speak about this church, they say things like, I have heard of your faith over there. That your faith in Christ Jesus is strong and is resolute. And if we take the mentality that the Colossians had, if we will come through the testings of our faith and know up front that there will be problems, there will be times that the faith of this congregation is going to be tested, but we will be resolved to not turn away from the Lord at those times, to focus our trust in on Him, and to keep moving forward. And I believe that is going to be the name. That will be the name that this church carries with it. That this church can have when spoken of by people in the world and by our brethren around. 
But not only were they known for their faith. You see, also in verse 4, we read that they were known for their love. He says, he says, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. See, towards Jesus, they were showing their faith. They were displaying their faith towards Christ, but towards the brethren, they were displaying love. And I think it's really important here that Paul didn't say that you all have a, we've, we've seen your love, we've heard of your love for one another. That's not what he said. He said you have a love for all the saints. The saints that are near in Colossae. The saints that are afar off doing the work of, 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 of evangelism and, of, and doing the work of serving God in the, in the various ways that they were serving Him. They had a love for them. And that also includes the saints that were easy to get along with and the saints that were hard to get along with. They loved all the saints. And the word that is used here is agape. Again, that is that, that stronger idea of love, that sacrificial love, that, that love that gives and, and gives even if it doesn't expect to receive. It's an unconditional love. And in this, they are like the church of the Thessalonians who Paul wrote to in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10, saying, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. When I read that, when I read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 10, I immediately think of Lake Street. I don't know how many times I've told people when, when they say, well, what, what's the church like there? It is a loving church. From the first time that I was here, back in Thanksgiving of, of, of 2014, the first time I ever walked in the doors here, I said, this is a church that's filled with people who love one another and love others. But what does Paul say to the Thessalonians? He says, that's not a quality that we ever put up on a shelf and say, there's, there's our love. That's it. We've got it. He says, increase more and more. There is no limit to this. We must continue to foster, continue to grow the love that we have in our lives for all the brethren. So what can we do here at Lake Street to make sure that we have a name of love and a name that is continuing to grow in love? We can be diligent. That's what we can do is be diligent. We can begin by being diligent with our love for one another. It has to start here at home. We have to make better attempts. We talked about this in class this morning. And, and I just thought that's the, the conversation we had in class, if we could just snip it out and put it right here in the sermon because it went so well with everything that I was thinking about here. We start with how we are acquainted with one another. We start with being a part of one another. We start with, with including ourselves with one another. And we do make opportunities here for that. And we talked about this in class. We make three opportunities a week to be here together and to worship God together and to remind one of ourselves together that we're in this life and we're serving our God together. But it can't stop there. It's got to spill over. It's got to fill into our lives. And that needs to grow more and more and to the point that we're not content to just say, I'll see you next week. We're not content to just say, I'll see you at services. Yes, it has to start at that point but it has to grow into a greater love. We also need to be diligent for our love for all the brethren. You know, just a few weeks ago, we had our gospel meeting. And it was, it was 
pretty well attended. I was, I was so thrilled each night to see the people who were coming in. And as each one of those visitors came in, they were speaking to us. They were speaking to us with their attendance. And without saying a word, I heard them saying, I love you. I love you and I've given up my time that I could have been doing anything on a Thursday afternoon, a Friday afternoon, a Saturday afternoon. I could have been doing anything in the world, but I came here. And maybe, yes, I came here to hear my favorite speaker, but I came here to be with you. Now, I don't want to take agape love and bring it down to a level where it's just sacrificing our time. God's love was greater than just sacrificing time. But that's a start. That's a start for us, brethren, to sacrifice our time and to sacrifice our money and to sacrifice efforts to go and to tell the brethren that are around us in these various congregations in in Lexington and Richmond and in, in Lawrenceburg. And let's go and tell them we love you. That's one way we can do that. But there's another way that we can do that to show our love for all the brethren. And that's being diligent in prayer. I want you to think about I want you to think about what was said about Epaphras in Colossians chapter 4. Turn over to Colossians chapter 4 verse 12. As Paul is concluding this, this, this letter to the Colossians, and he's told them, look, we, we've heard about the good name that you have, and it's an excellent name. And, and here's some things that you need to know about Christ and Christ being uh, in all and above all. And as he's closing this up, he says, let me tell you a little bit about Epaphras and what he's been busy doing. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring. I think that word is important for us to key on. Always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. Now I tell you, when I read that, I went, prayer never feels like a job. When did it feel like a job to say a prayer? But you know, maybe, maybe we should change our thinking about that a little bit to realize that that is a job. That is something that should take our time and should take our effort that we think about these people that we're going to pray for and we, we pour our hearts into the prayers towards our great God for their behalf so that they will stand perfect, stand mature, stand obedient to the Lord and complete in His will. This was something that Epaphras had made his goal. This is a way that we, this is a way that we can be more diligent. This is a way that we can be a, na- a church that has a name of love. And I'm going to tell you, That is a rarity today. That is a rarity today for a church to be a church that is steadfast in faith to the Lord and steadfast in love for for all the brethren. And any church in this, this religious world, and we'll use that in a very broad swoop, but any church in this religious world that will fill their time with goals like these, that we are going to be stronger in our faith to the Lord. We are going to be stronger in our love for all the brethren. That's going to be a church that stands out amidst the backdrop of, of, of many, many different ideas of what a church should be doing. That's a church that's going to be noticed. And Paul commends them for this. Going on in verses 5 and in 6, he, he, he adds one more thing to the name, the reputation they had, and that was their hope. It's because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. 
He says, you all are a church. You are a congregation that has been motivated, that has been changed, that has been engaged because of the hope of the Gospel. And this was not only true of them. He points out this isn't true throughout the world. This is what the Gospel does. This is what the grace of God does. And what kind of fruit were they producing? Well, he had already pointed out, you're producing a fruit of faith in Christ. You're producing a fruit of love for the brethren. (coughs) If we think back to John chapter 15, Jesus was noting, it's these people that are bearing fruit. It's these people who are allowing the Gospel to come into their lives and change them. Motivate them. These are the ones that are abiding in Me. And in verse 8, He said, By this My Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be My disciples. (coughs) Excuse me. So what was the key then? What was the key to their fruit bearing? I believe it's found at the end of verse 6. At the end of verse 6, Paul says, since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. By knowing the grace of God, these Christians were properly motivated to bear fruit, to respond in grateful service to God. And understanding that, understanding the grace of God, it presses us into this service. I love to think about that idea of being pressed. You know, not so much anymore, but there for a time the boys used to play with Play-Doh all the time. I think the last time they got it on the carpet, and we haven't seen the Play-Doh out in quite a while. I don't know if that was by their choice or maybe our choice, but, but they used to love to play with Play-Doh, and I would love to play with them. It was, it was really neat to bring back some of your childhood and to take this Play-Doh and mix it and make it into things and to mold it, but they had these little... They had these little toys, these little plastic molds, and, and you could press that Play-Doh into that mold, and you, you knew it was going to come out. When you pressed it into the little hamburger mold, you were going to get a little Play-Doh hamburger. When you pressed it into the uh, one little thing, I don't know exactly what it did, but you pushed it and it looked like hair growing out of something. You, you knew what you were going to get from these things when you pressed it in. Understanding the grace of God is like, like having that mold and you are being pressed into it. And when you, are, when you truly do think about and contemplate and understand the grace of God, when you're trying to do so, you can't help but be molded by what God has done. Let's think about that just for a moment as we wrap this sermon up. What One time we were condemned. We stood in sin, in danger of everlasting punishment. And our sin was separating us from God. It had made us aliens. Isaiah speaks of this, that that our sin separates us from Him. But it was through His love and it was through His mercy that He redeemed us. God paid the price for our sins. He paid the price with His Son Jesus on the cross. And it was a price that we couldn't afford to, to pay. A sacrifice that we couldn't afford to give. And through obedient faith, then, we are justified. We are declared not guilty by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. We are reconciled to Him. Now that we are freed from sin, we have this ability to be brought into a new relationship where God, where at one time we were separated, but now we can be brought together. And when we are brought together by the blood of His Son, we are sanctified. We are set apart We are made holy. We are made saints in service to God the Father. Now when we think about these things, 
We think about our condemnation, our separation. We think about the, the actions that we have committed. And we think about the actions that God has done. The redemption, the justification, the reconciliation, the sanctification. When we, when we dec- meditate on those things, when we contemplate them, it's almost impossible not to, to, to really, truly think about these things and not be changed. Not be, be motivated. Not be pressed into a different life. Into a life that is meant to bear fruit. Not for the glory of me. Not for the glory of Lake Street. For the glory of God the Father. You see, through Epaphras, the church at Colossae, they heard of that wonderful grace. They heard of what God had done. And also through Epaphras, Paul heard of the wonderful faith and love and fruit bearing that was going on because of that grace of God in Colossae. This church was a church with a wonderful name. And they had qualities that we would do well to emulate in our lives. And it's not for our glory. It's for the glory of God. It is only by His grace that we even have the opportunity to imitate the church of Colossae. And so I would ask us this afternoon or this morning, brethren, do we have an unshakable faith? Do we have a faith that is not that is not just going to ebb and flow with the tide, but is grounded and is firm and is steadfast? And do we have a love for the brethren? All the brethren. Let's be sure that we're allowing the hope which is laid up for us in heaven because of the grace of God, let's be sure to make sure that is molding us and pressing us and having its desired effect in our lives. If you are here this morning and you've not had the opportunity to respond to the grace of God, I see no better time than now to do so. Won't you please come forward and let it be known as we stand and as we sing.